chapter one of gossip in the first decade of victoria's reign by john ashton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter one the queen's accession proclamation funeral of the king the queen and social functions mr montefiore amusing letter electric telegraph knocker wrenching amusements of the young aristocracy king william the fourth was as sincerely fond of his niece alexandrina victoria as he cordially detested her mother and he earnestly hoped that she might obtain her majority which took place on the twenty fourth of may eighteen thirty seven before he died for he had a horror of the duchess of kent having even the shadowy power of a regent greville in his memoirs writing on twenty third of may says the king prayed that he might live till the princess victoria was of age and he was very nearly dying just as the event arrived he is better but supposed to be in a very precarious state there has been a fresh squabble between windsor and kensington about a proposed allowance to the princess the old king lived but a very short time after the desired event for he expired at two twelve on the morning of the twentieth of june eighteen thirty seven and how the sad news was broken to the young sovereign may best be told in the words of that mine of anecdote miss frances williams wynne the daughter of sir watkin williams wynne the fourth baronet Quote, on monday we were listening all day for the tolling of the bells watching whether the guests were going to the waterloo dinner at apsley house on tuesday at two and a half a m the scene closed and in a very short time the archbishop of canterbury and lord conningham the chamberlain set out to announce the event to their young sovereign they reached kensington palace at about five they knocked they rang they thumped for a considerable time before they could rouse the porter at the gates they were again kept waiting in the courtyard then turned into one of the lower rooms where they seemed forgotten by everybody they rang the bell desiring that the attendant of the princess victoria might be sent to inform h r h that they requested an audience on business of importance after another delay and another ringing to inquire the cause the attendant was summoned who stated that the princess was in such a sweet sleep she could not venture to disturb her then they said we come to the queen on business of state and even her sleep must give way to that it did and to prove that she did not keep them waiting in a few minutes she came into the room in a loose white nightgown and shawl her nightcap thrown off and her hair falling about her shoulders her feet in slippers tears in her eyes but perfectly collected and dignified lord melbourne was summoned to kensington palace by the queen at nine a m and a privy council was called for eleven a m but the notice was so short that several of the privy councillors had no time to put on their official costume and were obliged to attend in undress amongst others who made their appearance at court in this novel fashion were the duke of cumberland then by the fact of the king's death king of hanover and lord glenelg the queen was proclaimed the next day but there is no need to detail the ceremony as we have all experienced a similar scene lately the existing ministry was retained and things settled down in their places 
yet not quite all at once for the western luminary a paper long since defunct says in one writ which came down to this city a ludicrous mistake was made in the date as follows in the year of our lady eighteen thirty seven instead of our lord and the royal arms had to be altered from those borne by her majesty's five predecessors being a female they had to be borne on a lozenge instead of a shield the crest of a lion surmounting a crown was discontinued as was also the escutcheon of pretence bearing the arms of hanover surmounted by the crown of that country the preparations for the funeral of the late king were at once commenced and in connection therewith i cannot help quoting from the times windsor correspondent twenty eighth june Quote, in the platform erected for the interment of george the fourth there were more than seventy thousand superficial feet of boarding and forty nine thousand feet of quartering the quantity of black cloth used for covering the floor of and the roof over amounted to more than ten thousand yards i understand that after the interment it becomes the perquisite of the clergy of the chapel as do also many of the decorative ornaments placed on and suspended over the coffin you will perhaps recollect what some people would willingly have you forget i mean the squabbling which occurred respecting the velvet cushion upon which the coronet of the late princess charlotte rested at her funeral and the scramble which took place for the real or supposed baton of the duke of york on the occasion of his burial care was taken to prevent the occurrence of any such indecent proceedings at the funeral of george the fourth and hence i do not anticipate any such scenes on the present occasion the king was buried with great pomp on the night of the eighth of july the duke of sussex being chief mourner and queen adelaide occupying the royal closet at the close of the ceremony the members of the procession who were much fatigued by the toil they had undergone and by the sultry heat of the chapel proceeded to quit as quickly and as quietly as possible but nothing like order was observed in the return to the palace in fact it was for a considerable time a scene of indescribable confusion arrangements had been made by orders of the earl marshal for the places at which the carriages of those who had to take part in the procession were to be set down and take up but owing to the immense number of the carriages the ignorance of many of the coachmen as to the prescribed regulations and the obstinacy of others the rules very soon became a dead letter and every man seemed disposed to take his own way this as might be expected caused such confusion that it was long past midnight before anything like order was restored there were smashed panels and broken windows in abundance but no serious accidents were recorded the queen soon had plenty of business on her hands and on thirtieth june she gave her assent to forty bills one of which a remarkably short one the seven ghoul four and one vic c twenty three enacted quote, that from and after the passing of this act judgment shall not be given and awarded against any person or persons convicted of any offence that such person or persons do stand in or upon the pillory End quote owing to the recent change in sovereigns there were a few slips in her majesty and lorraine levert 
on the thirteenth july the queen and her mother left kensington palace and took up their residence in buckingham palace on the seventeenth the queen dissolved parliament in person dressed in white satin decorated with gold and jewels wearing the order of the garter and a rich diadem and necklace of diamonds she bore the function remarkably well although one evening paper said that quote, her emotion was plainly discernible in the rapid heaving of her bosom and the brilliancy of her diamond stomacher which sparkled out occasionally from the dark recess in which the throne was placed like the sun on the swell of the smooth ocean as the billows rise and fall on the nineteenth july she held her first levee and on the twentieth her first drawing-room having dutifully chronicled the doings of royalty let us do the same by meaner folk on twenty fourth june mr moses montefiore the celebrated jewish philanthropist who lived over one hundred years was elected sheriff of london and on the ninth november following he received the honour of knighthood he was the first jew who ever served the office of sheriff or who had been made a knight in england of course there were no board schools in those days and education was somewhat lax but it will do no harm to note a piece of orthography which will show the standard at which the middle lower class had then arrived it is copied from the times of twenty nine june eighteen thirty seven from an evening paper last autumn mrs c of london during a visit to blank house in the west of scotland called one day along with some other ladies in the family carriage at the golden arms inn of a sea-bathing place on the coast and stopped for about an hour some time after the party had returned to d house mrs c discovered that she had lost a very fine boa which she supposed she must have left at the inn on inquiry no trace of the boa could be found but about two months after mrs c s return to london she received a parcel with a boa somewhat torn accompanied by the accompanying sick epistle which we give as rather a curiosity of its kind golden arms inn twenty nine october eighteen thirty six mrs c london madam i was sorry to hear that when you lost your boa in my house that the boa was stole by my sarvant lasses and the sarvants at d house spread a report against my hussy's character which no person ever questioned afore my wife peggy was muckle vexed at the report and searched the trunks of all the lasses but did not find your boa she found in jenny mctavish kit's half a pound of tea which jenny had stole from my wife's cupboard jenny denied taking your boa but not doubting that you would tell a lee and as jenny took the tea my wife thought she must have taken your boa too so i turned off jenny for your satisfaction she went home to her mother's house in blank and four sundays after why should be cockin in the breast of the laft all set round with ribbons in her head but miss jenny with your boa on her shoulders like a sow with a saddle on its back i stopped her coming out of the kirk so so miss jenny says i hey you stumped the cow of her tail or is this the lady's boa you have on your shoulders the brazen-faced woman had the impudence to deny the boa was yours and said her sweetheart had bought it for her in a second-hand shop in the salt market of glasgow 
but i cut matters short with jenny i e'en as by your authority took the law in my own hand and tore the boa from her shoulders it was torn a little in the scuffle with jenny and me afore the congregation in the kirk yard but i carried it off in spite of her and now send it to you hoping you will put a letter in the newspaper of london clearing the character of me and my wife peggy and my inn of the golden arms as for miss jenny you may make her as black as old nick for over and above peggy half pound of tea and your boa jenny i had good reason to believe is no better than she should be i am madam your very humble servant john blank it will hardly be credited that at the commencement of eighteen thirty seven there was only one railway running out of london and that was the greenwich railway which however only went as far as deptford where it deposited its passengers in the midst of market gardens leaving them to walk or ride to greenwich but there were several running in the midlands six railways in all england and what was then called the grand junction railway from liverpool to birmingham was opened on the fourth of july of this year cognate with railways is the practical work of the electric telegraph now so necessary to their being on twelve june eighteen thirty seven a patent was granted number seven thousand three hundred and ninety to william fothergill cook of breed's place hastings and charles wheatstone of conduit street hanover square for their invention of improvements in giving signals and sounding alarms at distant places by means of electric currents transmitted through metallic circuits this hitherto scientific toy was first tried on twenty five july by permission of the london and north western railway then in progress between euston and camden town stations and its successful operation was witnessed with delight by fox and r stevenson amongst many others a great feature in this year was the tom and jerryism so called from pierce egan's life in london eighteen twenty one that existed especially among the upper class of young men foremost of all was the marquis of waterford whose delight was in the company of prize-fighters et hoc genus omne and whose idea of amusement consisted in visiting the lowest public-houses and treating everybody with liquor even pails full of gin being distributed to whoever would partake of it being never so happy as when the debauch ended in a fight knocker-wrenching and similar pranks were his delight and punch at the very commencement of volume one gives a suggestion for a monument to him his pranks would fill a volume and in august of this year during a yachting trip whilst at bergen he received a blow on the head from a stalwart watchman that nearly killed him here is a specimen police case times ten july eighteen thirty seven bow street on saturday eighth july three persons were brought before mr minchel charged with twisting knockers off hall doors assaulting the police and other disorderly conduct and it having been rumoured that one of the parties charged was the marquis of waterford a great crowd of persons assembled in front of the office to catch a glimpse of his lordship it proved however that the gentleman alluded to was not the noble marquis himself but his brother lord william beersford who gave the name of charles ferguson 
two other persons were placed in the dock besides his lordship one of whom gave the name of edward hammersley of forty one st james street and the other who was equipped in the garb of a waterman said his name was george elliot and that he was his lordship's coxswain william dodds a police constable of the e division number nine then stated that he was on duty in museum street between one and two on the previous night when he saw the two gentlemen at the bar go up to the house number forty nine and wrench the knocker from the door witness expostulated with them and seeing another knocker in the hand of the prisoner elliot he took him by the collar upon which the prisoner hammersley dropped the knocker which he had just carried off the prisoner ferguson then came up and said it's all right old boy and offered him money which witness refused to take the two gentlemen then ran away but were soon apprehended witness still retaining hold of elliot they were then conveyed to the police station where ferguson refused to be searched declaring that he would not submit to such a rascally degradation and having said so he struck witness the prisoners were then locked up mr william gibson of forty nine museum street proved that one of the knockers produced belonged to him and had been wrenched off his street door ferguson in his defence said he had been up the river on a boating excursion and had taken uh, rather too much wine the other two prisoners also pleaded having taken a drop too much mr minchel observed that there were two charges against ferguson whom he should consider as the principal offender and should find him five pounds for unlawful possession of one of the knockers and five pounds for assaulting the police constable in the execution of his duty he should not fine the other two ferguson said he had no objection to pay five pounds for the knocker but as he denied the assault he should appeal against the fine mr minchel informed him that there was no appeal in the case but he intimated that mr ferguson might go to prison if he pleased instead of paying the fine ferguson oh there's no occasion for that i shall pay the fine mr minchel then desired him to come round in front of the bench and said to him i dare say sir you have money enough at your disposal but i pray you not to entertain the notion that you can therefore do as you think fit in the streets of this metropolis either by day or by night you were brought before me recently for a similar offence when i find you five pounds and i now warn you that if you should again appear before me under circumstances like the present i shall most assuredly feel it to be my duty not to inflict a pecuniary fine upon you for that is no punishment to a person in your station but i shall send you at once as i am authorized to do to hard labour in the house of correction and you will then see that neither rank nor riches can entitle you to the privilege of committing depredations upon the property of peaceful and industrious persons or of disturbing the peace and quiet of this town with impunity the noble lord was then handed over to the custody of the jailer and his two companions were discharged it appeared that he had not sufficient money about him to pay the fines but his brother the marquis of waterford after visiting him in durance vile released him from his ignoble captivity by paying the fines on the same day his brother lord james beersford was arrested for disgusting behaviour and two young men of genteel appearance who gave false names were taken in custody by the police for maliciously upsetting a shellfish stall 
one more illustration of the amusements and behaviour of the jeunesse dorée of that period will suffice times twenty five november eighteen thirty seven marlborough street lord harley of chester place captain w e reynolds of german street and mr charles lushington of tavistock hotel were on thursday twenty three november brought before mr chambers charged with having practised the fashionable amusement of ringing door-bells mr young surgeon piccadilly said about five o'clock that morning he was aroused by a violent ringing at his bell he answered the summons immediately captain reynolds it's a blank lie you have committed perjury mr lushington to the complainant you are a blank liar the fact is i hurt my fingers and wanted some diacalum plaster and i therefore rang the bell of the first surgeon i came to this is the truth so help me god mr young continued when he got to the door he found that all the three defendants had gone away and he immediately followed them and demanded their reason for disturbing him the defendants turned upon him and made use of language and epithets which he would not pollute his lips by repeating captain reynolds shaking his stick at the witness i wish i had you elsewhere mr lushington i'd roll you in the kennel if it was worth while mr young continued the altercation attracted the notice of the police and witness gave them into custody when they got to the station-house and witness was proceeding to make the charge the defendants repeated their disgusting epithets and language it is impossible to do more than to remark that the language was of a description hitherto presumed to be confined to the vilest class of the community mr young added that all the defendants appeared to be intoxicated lord harley i beg pardon i was sober inspector beersford was sworn to the fact inspector his lordship was more intoxicated than the others mr lushington falling on his knees and holding up his hands i was not drunk this night so help me blank the inspector swore that none of the defendants were sober mr lushington the case shall be carried to a higher court mr chambers then to give you an opportunity of taking your case elsewhere i shall make you all find bail and mr young if he pleases may prefer an indictment against you mr chambers asked mr lushington if he was a relative of dr lushington and received a reply in the affirmative footnote then a very active m p afterwards judge in the admiralty and probate courts dean of arches and so forth End note captain reynolds said if his language had been offensive towards the bench he was sorry for having used it mr chambers said personally he was indifferent to the language used to him the parties having left the box mr young told mr chambers that he had no wish to press the case further he wished an arrangement could be made so that the bench could decide the matter summarily the defendants were acquainted with this very handsome conduct on the part of the complainant and after some discussion captain reynolds and mr lushington agreed to pay five pounds each to a charity lord harley was fined five shillings for being intoxicated when mr chambers was inflicting the latter fine he said to lord harley that he hoped he would exert his influence if he had any with some members of the legislature to get the fine for drunkenness increased to a pound where the party was a gentleman the defendants paid the fines and went away End of chapter one